0: I'm Heidi Bragg, and this is Life, Cancer, Etc. My goal with this podcast is to connect you with stories and resources that help you feel happier, more resilient, and less stressed, especially when you're going through hard times. Today, my guests are Sean and Beth Ann Rapp. Sean and I have worked together for, oh gosh, I don't know, Sean, how long now?
1: Se- seven, years? At least seven or eight years. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, Sean's wife, Beth Ann recently went through a bout of lung cancer. And so I wanted to get them on to talk about their experiences, both because we haven't had somebody on who's had lung cancer and how that might be different from some of the other experiences you may have heard. And also I just like hearing other people's perspectives on how they got through things, how their support person did things, tips and tricks, et cetera. So Thanks so much, you guys, for doing this. Welcome. Yeah, you bet. Okay, so why don't you start with a little bit about how you guys met and got together, and then let's talk about um, after Bethan got diagnosed and how, how that all came about.
1: Sure, you bet. Um, actually, it was kind of interesting because um, I had been divorced for a little while, and I decided to try online dating. And so I signed up for Christian Mingle, and uh, probably been on there for a few months, and and uh, saw Beth Ann's profile and thought, oh, she's really cute. And so sent her a, a you know, little ding you know, to say, hey, I, I like your profile. And, and uh, we decided after conversing for a little while that we would get together and, and meet. And uh, I think first date was right around Valentine's Day, I think. And it was wow, a lot of fun. Wow, way to set
0: the bar high, Sean. Right.
1: Dude. <laughs> we met at a neat little coffee place and just had a lot of fun. And uh, over the next year, we continued to date, and uh, I would drove up from Sutherland to Springfield to, to see her and, and I spent time with her. And then a year, almost a year later to the day, um, I proposed to her at the same place we had our first date. Wait, which so did is you a lot propose of
0: fun. on Valentine's Day too?
1: No, uh, okay. no, actually it was a day before, I think we were celebrating Valentine's Day and I proposed the day before. Nice. But uh yeah, it was just kinda neat. And then we got married in August, uh, about six, seven months later, something like that. and we've been together for five years now. So
0: Oh wow. Married yeah. for
1: five. Married for five, yeah.
0: Well that's awesome. Yeah, always trust the wife on the dates. I'm just gonna say that's <laughs> I know ninety-nine percent of that. the time. I have learned of time. that. Um you guys uh Beth Ann's son Daxton lives with you guys, correct? Yes, he does. Yeah, and he's the official back rubber as far as we're concerned because he'll come in during Zoom calls and he's always like rubbing Sean's shoulders and his back and stuff, and it's really sweet. Yeah, he did it today too, I think, before this time. <laughs> That's cute. Okay. Um, so tell us a little about a little bit, Beth Ann, about how you even realized you needed to go into the doctor about this thing with your lungs.
2: Yeah. Um, i had had a cough for a while. Um, and I thought, cause originally in January of 2020, um, I had been sick with kind of a bad cold. Um, in hindsight, I thought that maybe it had been COVID because mm-hmm. that was right when COVID was coming to light. Um, and I thought maybe that the cough was just lingering from that.
0: Um, which we, you know, we all do these days, you don't know what's what. If you've got a runny nose, if you've got a cough, if you've got a headache. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And so I just kind of, you know, I went in for a checkup in June of 2020 and the cough was still kind of there. And I remember mentioning it to my doctor. I'm like, yeah, I have this little cough. I think it's just left over from that bad cold I had in January. And I figured, you know, she did a checkup. She listened to my lungs. She didn't say anything. Um, She seemed kind of frazzled at the time. And I thought she's probably really exhausted from all the COVID patients. And I honestly just wanted to get out of there because I'm like, you know, COVID was running rampant at that point. So I wanted to get out of the clinic. And so I'm like, okay, good, we're gone. You know, I'm out of here. And then I, you know, it was still kind of the cough was hanging on for a little while. And I was going back to work in September, Um, I work as an educational assistant with life skills kids. Um, And so I was a little bit worried because I thought, you know, this cough can really start interfering with my work. And so I went online to schedule an appointment to have it checked out because I thought, yeah, I just need to be able to sleep. I need to figure out why I'm coughing. Um, And I couldn't get an appointment until like December. Oh, geez. And I thought, well, this is kind of ridiculous. But I thought, well, I'll just keep the appointment because you just, you never know. Um, So I just kept the appointment. And then when it got closer in December, I thought my cough was getting better. And I think my appointment was actually December 23rd. I thought, you know, I'm busy. Christmas is in a couple of days. I don't have time to deal with this. And I canceled the appointment. Oh, geez. And then a few weeks later, uh, I was talking to my best friend on the phone and we, she had commented several times on my cough. I said, yeah, it's just, I think it's just allergies or something. I don't really know why I keep coughing. And she said, okay, I know you keep telling me that, but I want you to see your doctor so that you can tell me that your doctor said it was nothing. And I said, okay. That's a good and best friend. I, I know. Great best friend. I've known her since I was 12. Um, and so I said, okay. So I called, or no, I think I emailed again. And I, I emailed my doctor, and I said, I've had a cough for a while now. I would like you to order a chest X-ray, and I want to schedule an appointment with you. So the, she said, sure, no problem. The chest X-ray was just a drop-in basis type of thing. And so I had an appointment scheduled with her. I went a couple days later to have the chest X-ray done after work, and um, and I'd actually, I'd been joking with my coworkers about it. I'm like, okay, guys, I know I'm coughing like crazy. I said, it's not COVID, I promise you. But I'm going to get a chest x-ray today uh, just to make sure everything's fine. And so I went after work, got my chest x-ray. And I think it was, well, I guess when I had the x-ray, I kind of had this weird feeling because I had worked uh, in radiology in the clerical part for a long time. And so I kind of know, how, <clears throat> excuse me, how things work. And when the when the uh, technician took the x-ray, she was professional. And I think probably nobody else maybe would have detected it. But I just felt like I got a vibe from her. She's like, okay, mm-hmm. well, they'll probably uh, be calling you tomorrow or the day
0: after. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. If it was not... They always say, if it's something, you know, if there's anything you need to have followed up on, they'll give you a call in a few days. Yeah. yeah, She was pretty specific.
2: Yeah. So the way she said that, I was like, oh, this is not good. So I just kind of had this feeling, um, but still was not prepared for the phone call I got the next morning. I think it was like 745 or eight o'clock. And it was my, um, my primary care doctor who said that they had found a nine centimeter mass on my right lung.
0: And for those Which, of you who don't know, that's a really good sized mass.
2: That's huge. Yeah. A centimeter is just shy of an inch, I think.
0: Two and so, a half centimeters to an inch. So it's big. Mine in my, my thing in my heart was seven centimeters and it was good sized. Yeah. So yours was bigger than that.
2: Yeah. So it was big. Um, anyway, and so they referred me to a specialist at that point, um, a pulmonologist who then got me scheduled for a CAT scan and we did a... a I'm going blank. We biopsied it, a bronchoscopy, just to scope it out and see what it was. So, yeah, I had the 9-centimeter mass, and then two of my lymph nodes were also involved. And they were, I saw in the x-ray, they were both huge. So that was a little unsettling.
0: Yeah. The bronchoscopy was weird because I wasn't sure, because I had to have one. So I had a 7-centimeter tumor removed from my left atrium, so I had open-heart surgery surgery the week I turned 50, which really ticked me off, Yeah, but, um, merge kind of emergency open heart surgery. They thought it was benign. It wasn't. And then I had, um, somewhere in there, I had a bronchoscopy. I think it was right before I started radiation because they showed something else that was active, but they weren't sure exactly what it was. And they want to make sure if it was cancerous that they mapped it when they mapped the radiation plan. But I just remember going there, I was thinking, Oh, I guess I just didn't realize, did they do constant sedation or constant? Did they do conscious sedation for you for that, like Versed or something?
2: Yeah. They said it was identical to like a colonoscopy. So I yeah. already had a colonoscopy a few months ago. So I'm like, okay, I was good with that. The, the worst part was the spray they put in your mouth to numb your throat.
0: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was just, it's gross. But anyway, okay. So they did the bronchoscopy and, and when they got the sample back, what did the pathology say?
2: Yeah, pathology said it was definitely cancer. The cancer was in two lymph nodes and in my lung. It was a
0: adenocarcinoma. Do you know, let me ask you this, because some of my um, cancers are related to having Lynch syndrome, which is a genetic abnormality. Did they do any genetic testing for you or you are not to that point?
2: Um, they didn't relate it to that. Um, I've had genetic testing done before, though, because my son was bon- born with a chromosome disorder. Okay. So I do have some genetic anomalies, but I don't know that it's related to this.
0: Interesting. Okay. And then, um, so what did they, I mean, and you've from what I you, you were never a smoker or anything either. No,
2: right? no, no, not me, not my friends or family for the most part. So, um, I was only what 51 when I was diagnosed. So I think that's why a lot of it was so shocking to me because, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, I've lived a relatively healthy life. And so, uh cancer was the farthest thing from my
0: mind oh yeah yeah we all mm, yeah uh, I can identify with that so um Sean so for you you've you've known Beth Ann's had this cough whatever she comes home did she tell you that she thought the tech was a little what the tech had said was interesting or should she kind of keep that to herself until you guys got the call the next day
1: no, I think we had that discussion. I think she mentioned that she was a little concerned because the, the tech had been so specific about calling the next day. And it's it was just kind of one of those, well, what does that mean, kind right. of moments.
0: You're like, hey, hey, I know right? you're trying to be all HIPAA compliant and all that, but come on. Right,
1: exactly. And uh, so it was a little off-putting, and I wasn't really sure what to make of that at the time. Um, and then when, what about when they you got called, the, call? the doctor called yeah. the next day, it's just... It kind of sets you back on your heels for a second, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm, when I hear that I'm trying to be the guy that's like, okay, don't panic, because a lot of people have gone through this before. A lot of people have, you know, made really great, made a lot of great progress on on cancers. You know, this isn't necessarily something that is fatal. It's something that can be lived with. But we've got to get to that point and try to figure out what's going on. And I think that was the hard part that was the hardest was the waiting between when we found out, yes, she has cancer and what kind of cancer it is and how treatable it is. And I think there were several weeks in the middle there and it's just like you're sitting on pins and needles trying because you're waiting for, for an answer and nobody's giving you the answer.
0: Mm.
1: And I think that was the hardest part in the beginning.
0: That would have been, we didn't have to experience that waiting for an answer. Um, cause we had one pretty quickly. Uh, there were a couple of weeks while I was recovering, I was in the hospital and covering from the open heart surgery before we went to my regular oncologist. Cause I had had cancer before. And, um, and when she said, this is virtually a hundred percent fatal. I was just like, I knew it was bad, but yeah, there was this, it's miraculous. It as. Yeah, anyway, so I went to her, to right, right. And we had, our kids were um, at that point, the first cancer, they were nine, 11, 15 and 19. The second cancer they were, what would it have been? Cause it's been three years, like 12 or 13, something like that. You know, 14 or 15. We still had kids at home. We still had kids who were relatively young I like this husband. I'd like to spend more time with him, you know? And it was just, it's a, I always tell people it's like a visceral punch in the gut when people tell you that no matter how well you think you're balanced, when someone tells you you've got cancer, it's like they hitch in the solar plexus or kick you. It's, it knocks the, yeah. at least everybody I know it's knocked the wind out of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um, then you went to an oncologist and what did they tell you guys? What well, was kind
2: of funny at the point where I finally got to see the oncologist, I think maybe it had been a week or two because again it was like a little bit of a waiting game for us. And by the time I got there, I had almost, I had completely lost my voice, oh, which was interesting. Um, I didn't really think about it till later. Well, interesting too. I just, I have a, a degree in communication disorders and science, and so. We did a lot about that, learned a lot about that in college as far as like how you phonate, how you're making sound. Mm -hmm. And so it was interesting because I realized after the fact, well, that's, I I couldn't talk because my lungs weren't producing enough oxygen to make a sound. Um, So yeah, I couldn't, I could barely get down the hall, you know, to from the living room to the bedroom without being short of breath. So by the time we got to the oncologist's office, I remember Sean parked the car and, we were walking in and I was just, you know, walking like I normally would walk. And by the time I got to the waiting room, I could barely breathe and uh, was kind of a little upsetting, I guess to say. Um, and so we got to the oncologist's office and they, they noticed immediately they knew immediately what was going on and they got me some supplemental oxygen and um, was like, Oh my gosh, this is so much better. And so they got me on oxygen at that point Um where they had it sent to my home, and um, anyway, the uh, yeah, the, the I had two oncologists. I had my radiation oncologist, Doctor Lee, and my uh, chemo oncologist, Doctor Yasenchak. and they were both just phenomenal. Um, the whole the whole center was wonderful as far as care goes, and I always felt important, and I felt very focused on when I was there, and just mm-hmm. I really felt I was in the best hands possible. I just had, I put a hundred percent trust
0: in them. That's awesome. Yeah. I've, I always tell people you need a team you feel comfortable with Mm -hmm. and, and the experts I talked to, the ones who treated me, and this is at a top 10 cancer center, top 10 nationally in Florida. And they say, we want you to go get a second opinion. We want you to feel comfortable with the course of treatment that we have um, advised you for. And Uh, Advised you to have and they talk about being consultants not saying this is what you must do it's like given the situation this is what we think is best now we say if it happened to your mom or your sister and it was someone you liked (laughs) like and you got along with them what would you do
2: yeah it really helped too um my brother has a really good friend who's a doctor in portland and so my brother john had a consulted with his doctor friend and said, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, do you have any recommendations? And he was thinking, he's like, oh, yeah, actually, there is there is an oncologist in Eugene that um, I did...
0: Uh, like residency with or residency.
2: something? Residency, thank you. I still have some chemo brain going on. I forget where. We it. all do. Um, yeah, he's like, I, I, I did residency with. And he's like, he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and so he recommended... Dr. Yusenchak to me. And we did, Sean and I did a little research on him um, just through the the Willamette Valley Cancer Institute website had, you know, their background on the oncologist. And Dr. Yusenchak had been uh, voted like one of the top 10 oncologists, I think, in the United States by the U.S. World News Report. New 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 yeah. mm. So That's awesome. And, it was interesting. So when I had my appointment with him, he uh, had told us that he had been practicing in Portland, but kind of wanted to get out of the political part of it and just, just wanted to help people. And so they moved to Eugene where it was like a little bit smaller, slower, slower way pace. of life than Portland. Yeah. And, um, and I guess I got lucky because he was just, you know, we felt Sean and I both felt really comfortable with him right off the bat. So, and to know that, you know, my brother's friend was saying how he's like, right. he's just like, he's brilliant. He said he was absolutely brilliant. He did his residency at the Mayo clinic, you know, just
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so that is well, now really. I'm thinking I need a point of contact here. So I'll be um, getting his contact information. From okay, sure. after this. Seriously, because I need, yeah. I need somebody here so that if anything happens again, they can coordinate. I will still probably go to Moffitt for a lot of that because my stuff is so specialized, mm-hmm. but I need somebody here who can handle walking me through it.
1: Yeah. Um, and I have to tell you, I, it was one of those things that I was real nervous going in and talking with him, too, because I went to these first appointments with her. And once I met him, uh, Dr. Lee was fantastic, too. But um, once I met Dr. Yusenchek it's it just he was answering all the questions in a very forthright manner. And, and just like he knew exactly what he was talking about. Like, oh, yeah, I've dealt with that before. Or, yeah, we don't really want to go down that path. And here's why. And that kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I felt really good after talking with him, after that first uh, that first interview or first uh, appointment, and uh, kind of put my mind at ease a little more. I think going into this whole thing, like, yeah, this is this is something that can be fought. This is something right uh, is winnable, and I, I feel a little more comfortable about that.
0: And that's a hard. I think those first appointments, particularly, you're so just kind of deer in the headlights about everything that. Um, It always helps to have another person go with you if you're the patient. Um, It always helps if uh, a friend, now this is before most things were digital, but back with my first cancer, she's like, keep a binder and put everything in that binder. Put the CDs of your scans, put everything in. If you carry that binder everywhere you go, then they have the information they need in the moment they need it to advise you without waiting and putting you off on whatever else because Mm -hmm. it wasn't available. Now, I mean, my, my portal for Moffitt, the cancer center in Florida, it just has everything. It's wonderful. And it's, I don't know, I think more and more, even in small towns, we're seeing cancer centers advance technologically to the point where there's a lot better sharing of information. There are more timely appointments, et cetera. And that's very reassuring.
2: Yeah. That was the hard thing too, for me, Um, because it was COVID. They only let Sean come with me on the initial appointment Mm -hmm. with the oncologist. Um, And after that, I was on my own. So I've kind of talked about that with other cancer patients who said, you know, that's kind of hard when um, you're in there. You just, you do feel so alone because you can't have your loved ones with you. Yeah,
0: Like uh, I was Mm -hmm. talking to someone the other day who was um, my friend Tiff who had breast cancer and her chemo room, you know, normally you're there with a friend mm-hmm. and we were always the loud people in my chemo room because my chemo room was really quiet. We were talking and laughing and, you know, joking about losing hair and whatever. Um, but Tiff went to all her appointments alone, like you did. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, and and Lauren, her best friend was waiting downstairs when she got out, but you're going through that process in a very solitary way. And I think that would be a lot harder.
1: I think one of the things too, and Beth Ann and I have had this conversation before is, it helps to have somebody there with you so that they get to hear it too in case you're not focusing
0: exactly because
1: you've been given this life-changing you know uh, information and your brain may not necessarily be all there when you're in these consultations and so it helps to have somebody a close friend relative you know uh, spouse there with you so they can hear the information too so you can say did I hear correctly yeah you know, is this what he said. I
0: think I was still on pain pills because it was only a few weeks after open heart surgery and that was miserable for a while. Mm. So Kev would be like, I'm like, did he say this? He's like, yeah. Was this the next thing? No, the next thing was this. And this is what we're, and it just, I don't know. It just helped. So um, you're done with radiation and chemo, which order did you do those in?
2: Um, I, for six weeks, I would go to radiation uh, five times a week. Yeah. So Monday through Friday. And then on Thursdays, I would do my chemo after radiation.
0: Okay. And how far out are you from the end of treatment? I finished my last
2: radiation treatment. I think it was the end of April. Awesome. So now I'm doing monthly immunotherapy.
0: Okay. And are you doing Keytruda or what are you doing?
2: Oh, I don't know. I have it. I have it in my notebook. Yeah. Uh, that's Not Catruda, I mean? think it starts with a D. I can't remember what it's called. Um, I could
0: find it. No, out that's okay. There, I'm just yeah. interested because Katruda's is the one in the back pocket if the sarcoma goes back for me. And I'm always interested to hear people's experiences with that. Okay, but you look great. Thank you. How are you feeling?
2: <laughs> um, I feel pretty good. Um, it's funny, you know, you talk, said look great. Because, you know, the with the chemo, I was really fortunate that the doctor said that I would probably, my hair would thin. He never said it would fall all the way out. So I was kind of like, okay, well, and it definitely did. It definitely did then probably about a third of what it used to be. And then with the new drug I'm on now, it said, uh, it said may cause hair loss or hair growth. I'm like, well, way to keep your options open. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not really sure what my hair is doing right now. I think it's growing back a little bit. I'm not sure. But um, yeah, fatigue is another side effect of that. And I definitely still feel that a lot. Um, I like my daily naps. Which you're going to have to go away when I go back to work next week. Very yeah. sad.
0: <laughs> do you but, find, um, because my radiation was to my heart. So my lungs were in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, do you find that you have to exercise to keep that tissue moving? Cause it tends to kind of tighten up that radiation scarring.
2: Yeah. My uh, pulmonologist said that exercise is the most important thing for me to be doing right now. I asked him, I said, you know, can I, I qualify for handicap parking permit. Cause said so I get short of breath really easy. And and he's like, absolutely not. He's like, I, he's like, that's what you need to be doing is walking. So yeah, I, I haven't probably been walking as much as I should the smoke right now. We have, you know, lots yeah. of smoke from the forest fire. So that is not helping. And.
0: <laughs> it makes it hard. Yeah. we've all, before we started recording, I was just coughing up a lung almost literally. So yeah. I get it, but, but I, I have found that um, when I lay off, like we, our daughter got married out of state last week and I only walked a few of the days cause they had a lot of smoke from the wildfires as well. And I laid off a few days and man, when I start again, you can feel that tissues just tightened up and you got to break it up and loosen it again. But it's when I'm doing it regularly, I feel pretty good. You know? Yeah.
2: That's a really good visual for me to think about just, yeah, breaking the tissue up and having it, helping it expand. I've kind of, Sean and I have talked about, I'd really like to get some sort of cardio equipment for the house, like an elliptical or a bicycle or something so that I could be doing that. Um, Unfortunately, our our house is kind of small, so I'm not sure where we're going to put it yet, but yeah, just so we can be inside. It's also kind of challenging for me to get out because we do have um, our son who with his special needs, you know, doesn't, he has high anxiety, so he doesn't like me to be away from him.
0: Mm.
2: And walking with me. He wouldn't walk very far or probably fast enough for me to get the cardio going. So yeah.
0: One of the pieces of equipment we had the first time I had cancer was a recumbent bike inside. Mm -hmm. And that was great because I could use that after procedures and surgeries and stuff Mm -hmm. out of the weather. It was relatively easy to do. It wasn't as much of a cardio workout, I think, as walking was, but it was something.
2: Yeah. I thought about that too, because I thought if it ever came to it where I needed to use my oxygen again because now I'm not using the supplemental oxygen. Which is awesome. But I thought I'm like, that would be awesome. I could just set the thing right there and just be on the bike with the oxygen flowing and
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that might be I don't know, that might help. Okay. So what are some um what are some things you wish you'd known ahead of time?
2: <sighs> um wish I known ahead Either of time. you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm <laughs> trying to think.
1: Hmm. for me, it's one of those things that I don't know that there is anything that I wish I would have known ahead of time because it sort of hits you like a ton of bricks when you get that news. And so I kept thinking about this question. It's like, well, how could I have prepared for this? You know, what could I have known beforehand? And I think just because it's such a foreign concept when you don't think that you're going to be a target, Hmm. um, you don't really think about doing research on it or anything else because, you know, why it doesn't affect me. And I think that was probably the biggest thing for me is, is I wish I would have had more information about this kind of thing going into it and, and uh, done a little more research. But I, part of that too is the fact that if you don't know exactly what you're dealing with, it's hard to, it's hard to do research on something right. like that. And it's kind of like throwing a, a, a dart at a, at a map and mm-hmm. trying to figure out, you know,
0: how to get somewhere. Okay. So let's yeah. say, what about, um, while you were helping her through treatment? Is there anything you wish you'd known ahead of time to prepare for that part of it?
1: Um, I, I'd i heard stories from other people about how tired that, that uh, they get and so on. Um, and I kind of wish that I would have been able to make a more comfortable space for her to be in, um, going into that. And it would have been nice to be able to kind of be able to give her the quiet in the space she needed to rest. Uh, it doesn't always happen just because we're in close quarters and, you know, when you're, when you're dealing with, um, a child with special needs who requires constant attention, uh, that's, that's tough too.
0: That adds and a whole other, you know, angle whole this whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. Really yeah. what about you Bethan? Anything that like, here, let me give you, for example, I had a friend who said, who, um, She's like family. But anyway, uh, Tay said, have a couple of sets of sheets, have a bunch of garbage bags and plastic gloves so that if you're throwing up during chemo, the person who's your care person can quickly and easily take care of that, clean up, not be exposed to anything toxic. Um, we got a a plastic type mat, not mat, but uh, mattress cover under our allergy cover, or on top of, excuse me, so that there was quick cleanup, nothing got through. Just, it was little things like that, that I would not necessarily have thought of. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, actually, my sister-in-law went through uh, that with her mom. Her mom actually has passed away now, but she was dealing with uh, breast cancer. And Jane had told me how she had those little blue emesis bags she always carried around for her mom. Um and so actually, ironically, we had those already because my son suffers from anxiety. And so vomiting is one of his things that he does when he gets too nervous. So I made sure that I always had the blue, a blue emesis bag, actually a couple, because you don't want to feel like you're like, don't have enough. Limit. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Have, I have a big purse now and uh, uh, more like a tote bag, I guess. And I would just always make sure that I had a couple of those bags with me so that you know, I would feel like I had
0: something if I needed it. You know, some of that is just a security thing, right? For me, it was—I just sure. needed to feel prepared. I wouldn't necessarily need it, but I didn't want to feel stuck without. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Um,
2: and you know, for me too, I think one of the biggest things I wish I would have known is just—you know—listen to your body. Um, I never should have poo-pooed that cough. You know, I keep—I keep looking back and thinking if I would have just been advocated more for myself and not worried about, Oh, the doctor looks so tired, you know, just said, Hey, I've had this cough for five months now. Let's do a chest X-ray to be sure. Right. You know, we could have caught it a lot sooner.
1: Um, You know, the ironic part about that whole thing though, was that just prior to that, there had been something going around that uh, people would get sick with a kind of a flu like symptoms. And then they had a persistent cough that would last for months. And so we just kept thinking, well, that's all it was. Cause she had been sick prior to that. Right. And, and how do you know? Call off. And yeah. How do you know?
2: Yeah. You don't. But so. that's where I think you have to advocate for yourself and just say, Hey, it's probably nothing, but let's check it out.
0: Right. No, I agree. Um, so what are some of your big takeaways, each of you from this experience, what you've learned about yourself, each other, your relationship, your body, whatever.
2: Um, do you want to go first or?
1: Well, um, probably the biggest takeaway from me would be, uh, just really focusing on taking care of, of you know, your loved one. And, and uh, it's kind of hard to articulate because I kind of went into a different mode when she was really, you know, feeling that fatigue and, and going through chemo and radiation and, and, um, I kind of went into this different mode of where I get off work and even when you're, cause I work from home. And so just trying to take care of her and make sure she's comfortable and making sure she's, you know, getting her meals and, and, uh, making sure she's got supplies and all that stuff. And, and I think if, if I were to do this again, uh, I would make sure that I stock up on things a lot more than I had, uh, and make sure that I allocate time to, make sure she's taken care of, but also allocate time so that I get myself taken care of.
0: Yeah.
1: Because there were times when I felt like I was just needing a little bit more time to kind of catch my breath and relax um, and come down from all of that. Uh, and there's just a lot of stress that goes into all that as well. So, I mean, you kind of need time to, to de-stress and yeah. and come back fresh so that you're, you're able to take care of, of your loved one in a better way
0: that's kev kev's talked about that before um we did a podcast he and i and i asked him this question he said i made sure i exercised because that kept me healthy and kept me sane and that was his thing like he made sure that he was doing that but he also said he was in bare minimum man mode like people got fed people got clothed people got to where they needed to be we had family prayer at night you know the things that we do in our day but everything else was just like nope nope yeah what about you, Beth Ann?
2: Yeah, for sure. What you just said, um, I just felt like I was in survival mode yeah. at that point when you're going through treatment. Um, definitely for me, it was different because I have my son, you know, and he needed me. So I was trying to just get through my day to make sure I could do the basic things for him. Um, Sean helped a lot with that, but, you know, uh, and then just trying to do the basic stuff for me. So I've kind of, you know, I've kind of went through some hard things in life. You know, when you have a child born to you that has special needs, you know, and then my first husband and I divorced. And um, so I kind of went through a lot of things already and I I knew that I was really strong. And so I knew going into this that I was going to handle it because I just feel like a lot of it's about attitude and I just never let myself think any other way. It's just that I'm going to get through this because my son needs me and I'm going to do what I need to do to try to, to do that. So, um, yeah, it was just, that was, I think the hard part, because for him, when he got up in the morning at seven o'clock, he wanted mama up. And it's like, it doesn't matter that I was up all night coughing. He wanted me up. And I usually got up, I think with him for the most part, there were several times that, he would be up with Sean. But uh yeah. I'm trying to think of what else I learned. But yeah, definitely I definitely had to rely on my faith and just know that everything happens for a reason and that that's why I was going through this. And that I just had to stay strong there. And um I know I had a lot of people that were praying for me, and I definitely felt that. I felt sometimes I feel like I felt a supernatural positivity vibe or something. Cause I, I just felt like, why, you know, everyone's like, wow, you're so calm. And how do you talk about this without crying? And I'm like, well, it just, it is what it is. And, right. you know, you just stay strong and get through it.
1: Yeah. It's that. You hit on something else there too. And I think that making sure you've got a strong support system. Oh, and it, absolutely. That's one of the things I was really glad about because, you know, I had, uh, I, you and I talked about this a number of times. You know, and you, you were my support system through a lot of this. And, you know, the other, my other co-workers, Michelle and Angela and so on, they were big supporters and, and everybody in the department just stood behind me and offered their support. And I had a lot of friends, close friends here that uh, offered their support, family, of course. And you need that. I mean, yeah. I think without that, I would have probably been more of a mess than, than I, because uh, I, I didn't end up having to. I mean, it, it sort of as a nervous breakdown kind of thing or, or have that whole stressful breakdown because things, you know, seem to be getting tough. I had people who were constantly helping, you know, what can I do? How can I help? That kind of thing. And I think that was a big thing for me as well. Another big takeaway was uh, make sure that you've got those folks and those friends that uh, the family that can stand with you.
0: Yeah, even in the hard stuff. And that's I mean, that whole support system thing, that's a huge part of why mm-hmm. we do these. excuse me, why we do these podcasts is so that people realize it's not necessarily, uh, the diagnosis isn't necessarily fatal. And even some of the ones we've done where eventually it was, it's like, how do you want to live your best life to that point? Right. Right. And uh, it's, um, like everybody says, it's not a club you want to be a member of, but the members are pretty awesome people. Mm hmm
2: for sure. Yeah, and Sean mentioned it too. I think my my parents were absolutely outstanding through all of this and I think it would have been a completely different ball game had we not had their love and support. My dad um, picked picked me up every day and took me to my radiation and to chemo and he drove me home, you know, back and forth and he they live about 20 25 minutes away, so he would drive all the way over get me take me back about halfway and then bring me back. And they were just right there. And my mom, cause Daxton goes to speech and physical therapy and occupational therapy every week. My mom was picking him up and taking him to all his appointments so that he still got his care that he needed. And, and his routine
0: stayed the same. And his
2: routine stayed the same. Yeah. Cause for him, it's all about that routine and that structure. And so it was awesome because Sean really didn't have to take off any work. You know, um, I don't know if I would have been able to drive. I know they don't let you drive on chemo days, but um, Sean would have had to miss a lot of work if we didn't have that. And and that would have been a lot more stressful, too, for my son. Because, you know, at that point, we were doing online schooling. And so he was home with Sean. um, Again, that consistency
0: for Daxton the whole time. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so I was thinking, gosh, if we didn't have my parents, we would have, been, we would have had to pull him out of school because he would have had to go with us, you know, transporting yeah. me. And without them, yeah, it would have been a completely different story.
0: Yeah, good people make all the difference. and I For th- sure.
2: I and don't don't be afraid. People should never be afraid to ask people for help because yep. I really do think that they're, most people will help if they're able to.
0: Yes. And most people just, I, f- frankly, most people don't know what they can do. Right. And I always I always advise people, um, g- if you've got somebody who's had a diagnosis, give them a choice of two or three things that you're willing to do because their head's spinning anyway, but say, you know what, would you like me to make dinner, get you a gift card or take the kids to swimming lessons, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then the person, because I was just like decision fatigue mess. I can choose between three things though. Yeah. And you're helping in a way that's comfortable for you. And if you get enough people doing those things, it really does lift you and take a lot of the burden off your shoulders. For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So any other um, tips and tricks you'd share with people that you um, haven't already? One thing,
2: especially during COVID, I actually never did this because I felt pretty clear, but someone suggested that when you are going to those appointments and you have to be alone, um, everyone usually keeps their phone with them, but record the conversation with your doctor if they're okay with that, you know, that way you can refer to it later if you need Mm -hmm. to.
0: That's a great Um, idea.
2: Yeah. So I think that would be really a good thing. And, you know, another thing, just don't worry about the small stuff. I know I, I used to be really, my mom used to say my house was immaculate and it's certainly not that anymore, but you know, just don't worry about those things. It's, you know, the dirt will
0: be there when you're done with treatment.
1: Yeah. And people understand too. I mean, if they know what you're going through, they'll understand.
0: Yeah. Well, and if they came to look at the dirt in your house, they're not really friends anyway, it, and you can boot exactly. them out. Exactly.
1: That's right. They're not there for the right reason. So, no.
0: Okay. So, what have you guys got as bucket list items now? Because I'll tell you, the third cancer or second or third one of them for us was a big uh, time of reevaluation for Kev and I about what do we want? What do we want to be doing? How do we want our life to be, because if we had limited time, what would we want to do with it?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So what about you Question.
2: guys? Um, for me, it's kind of hard because I feel like you know first and foremost, I'm always a special needs mom, and that means there's restrictions on things that I can and cannot do so my my biggest goal I said you know is I need to get my son through school and try to get him as independent as possible Mm. so that he does not need to rely on me as much, you know, because it's, you're kind of looking at your own mortality there. And I thought, gosh, he, he needs me so much, but I'm like, how can I make that? So he's more independent. Yeah. Um, That's a
0: very good point.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, for me, that's the biggest thing. If, if I didn't have that to factor in, I would sure I, yeah, I would love to travel. I would love to go do, different things. I have the entire summer off, you know, between school years. Um, but traveling with him can be hard sometimes.
0: So, yeah. Okay. So we'll say, we'll say Daxton and travel for you. There you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: yeah. And I've always been a big traveler. So I, I love doing that. Um, you know, having spent years overseas and seeing all kinds of things, I, I just love to travel. And uh, I would love to take a train to New Orleans at some time, at some point. And and, Maybe
0: not this week, uh, right Not, not yeah, this right. week.
1: You know, probably not the best of times to try that one. But um, you know, it's it's just the whole idea of traveling on a train, especially with uh, with your spouse, is, is just this neat romantic idea, you know? Because there you are, clackety clack, you know that that sound in the background, and just sitting and in
0: seeing the country,
1: seeing the country go by, yeah. and, you know. It, but I I would love. There's a lot of places I would love to visit, you know never been to europe that would be fun um, sean spent in years asia in the
0: philippines that, but, like grew up yeah, part of time I in the philippines
1: a lot of time in asia and saw a lot of different places in asia but um, never been to europe which is someplace i'd really love to go and uh, so i think that'd be probably on the top of my bucket list just go do that
0: those are uh, those are good ones and sean's we
1: yeah, want to talk about fun stuff though i would really i've been to disneyland and i've been to disney world but i haven't been to euro disney or shanghai disney or-
0: <laughs> Bethany's rolling her eyes, but Sean. Yeah, that's yeah, not on my I know, list. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be a solo trip, Sean, and that's okay. Um,
1: instance, well, actually, I can drag my brother. I have a twin brother, and he's just about as much of a Disney fan as I am. So I'll just drag him along, and we'll go to Tokyo. And there you go. And Paris, and there you go.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> um. Also, Sean's a big foodie. Are you too, Bethany? Um.
2: Yeah, not as much as he is. I, he's great for restaurant
0: recommendations, though. He's like, yeah, oh, I go to this Thai place, and I was like, dang, that is the that is great Thai food.
2: I introduced him to that Thai place, by the way. yeah, oh, that
0: was on me. Excellent, thank you, yeah, Ben. You're welcome. You. You're we go welcome. there all the time.
2: Yeah, I, I love to bake. Um, so I don't know if I would call myself a foodie, but I do like to go out and eat. He's but he's a lot more adventurous than I am. Yeah, he is. For sure.
1: And he's always got yeah, good stories. <laughs> I can probably count on one hand the number of things I will not eat. So
0: <laughs> We'll have so to have that conversation. Yeah, I want to yeah. have that conversation with you sometime. Because there are very few things on my list too, but one of them is the gelatinous blob that I found out later was, I think, raw jellyfish, like a big jellyfish, and they put it on just like a piece of lettuce. And oh, jiggle, tickle, jiggle. jiggle, should jiggle.
1: It, uh, you should try it pickled sometime.
0: Pickled, I might eat it. But yeah, that mm, just that texture, I was not going to do. Okay, what are some of your favorite places to be?
2: Hmm, good question. Lately, again, it's just been all about being a mom. You know what I really have enjoyed, though? It's kind of probably a weird thing to say, but Daxton loves baseball so much. And I've just really enjoyed when we've gone to some professional baseball games and we've just sat in the stands and everyone's having a great time and we're eating yummy food. Um, You know, that's been kind of a favorite place to be, but, you know, I'm, I'm always kind of a homebody too. And I love to be just home and if it's raining outside, snuggled in with a good book or something cooking on the stove or baking in the oven, you know, Cause it feels like home yeah I like to be in the mountains too I love it if we can get away and just sit there and look at the pine trees from the window or whatever yeah
1: oh that's awesome yeah yeah I think it's almost the same for me and because we've got a, a family tradition of going away for a weekend uh, up into the mountains in high desert every year and I look forward to that that's just a lot of fun it's a neat place to be and it just feels really comfortable and you get out and and uh, can stretch your legs a little bit and breathe the fresh air and Away from the city for a while. Yeah. I really love that.
0: That's awesome.
1: Well, that just, my favorite restaurants. So, you know,
0: <laughs> yeah, there's that. There's that. Well, just thank you both for taking the time and sharing your experiences. And like I said, it's neat to hear from people that I wouldn't expect to have heard something or listened to something to go, yeah, I passed that on to a friend. They just got diagnosed with this. Or, yeah, I passed on to so and so. You know, that thing on anxiety really helped. And I just appreciate people sharing their experiences so honestly. You very
1: You're very welcome. welcome.
0: Getting a very unexpected cancer diagnosis at a young age is never easy. But Beth Ann and Sean are examples of how you can work together as a couple to get through it and move forward with your life. I really appreciate them sharing their story with us. This week, as you go around the world, please do something nice for somebody else, count your blessings and make it a really great week. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't subscribed yet, please do. We appreciate the support.